How's it going, everybody, and welcome back to Scales and Tales. Today is episode three, and today we have one of my really good local friends. Um, his name is Ethan. He uh, He's a pretty big deal. He's a pretty big deal, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. I'll let Ethan introduce himself and kind of talk about what he's about, and so you guys have an idea who he is before we start jumping into casual conversation. Well, hello there, Adrian, and hello to all the listeners. First and foremost, I am not a big deal. I'm just a normal dude that likes to fish, um, like most of you. And uh, I just happened to document that online, like a lot of people do these days, with the whole YouTube thing. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a big deal, though. <laughs> um, Ethan is—he takes the term multi-species angler. And he runs with it. Ethan fishes. Is it? It's BS BSF, right? Uh, I do some BFS fishing. BFS, BFS. Bait, okay. finesse system, bait finesse style. I, call I it. kept talking about it. I kept talking about it earlier, and I kept saying BPS just because I was thinking Bass Pro Shops because it's it's something I don't talk about a lot. But yes, Ethan is uh, Ethan's a multi-species angler. He is he is the uh, the textbook definition of that. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. mind to go go catch some bluegill or turn around and go flip some lily pads for bass. And I think that uh, that's helped him kind of form him into into uh, somebody that's very educational for anybody to watch. Usually, when you look at these YouTube videos and stuff, it's a lot of guys just purely bass fishing or purely fly fishing, trout fishing, and Ethan kind of. Uh, Bring, brings all that into one channel on his YouTube channel, which is Online Outdoorsman for anybody um, that doesn't know and wants to give it a view. Yeah, and, yeah, I've just um, I've really picked up a lot of ultralight fishing, and ever since doing that, that's kind of created a uh, a newfound interest in a lot of other species. You know, formerly big time bass fisherman, but to your point, multi species is kind of what I would consider myself now. I like to really catch whatever. Right. And Ethan's actually kind of gone above and beyond just the ultralight fishing. And when when did you start mule fishing? Two years ago? Yeah, it was, Um, I think I s sold my first mule jigs November 2019. So that's technically what oh, I would wow. call my, my start date. So yeah, it's been, right. been um, I guess, a, I don't know how long that, I can't keep track of time, man. November 2019, what is that? A couple of years ago? This will be, yeah, two, two and a half years. years. Yeah, I was say almost two and a half years. Um, two. <laughs> and mule mule fishing for people who aren't really, aren't really sure is an ultralight company, like I said, that Ethan came up with. And Ethan, did you, well, they make, what, what, what is all, what does mule make right now as far yeah. as products yeah. for? Uh, it's I would consider it a light line multi-species fishing gear company. So right now it is primarily jigs and plastics. Um, to clarify though, the jigs are um, intended for light line multi-species usage. So they're basically, if you're familiar with a Ned Rig, it's basically a ultralight version of a Ned Rig jig head. So lighter wire hook, smaller hook, um, so it's a little bit shorter shank so it fits smaller plastics better. Um, again, it's going to feature a high-quality keeper to make sure that you can keep a plastic on there throughout the day and, you know, tear less soft plastics. Um, 
and then it just kind of comes over cover well. So I offer them in sizes of 1 80th ounce all the way to 3 32nd ounce, and that really covers down on a lot of shallow water to mid-range water um, applications, and it covers down on a lot of different species. So these things have caught anything from, you know, bluegill and crappie to carp and big bass and uh, trout and everything in between. Um, and, and then the dogfish. Uh, yeah, you caught a bowfin. I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, I uh, I want to catch one of those so bad. I actually had one on this last year, and there's video of it. Um, I hooked him on a 180th ounce mule jig, um, and I had him right up to the boat, but I, it was my own fault. I snapped him off because of a net error. But anyways, that's another story for another time. But um, <laughs> yeah, the plastics, uh, I launched the plastics after starting with the jigs. And um, the difference between the plastics is they are like the high stretch, high durability material. So some of you may be familiar with a lot of other companies that, that do some of these really high durability material plastics. Um, well, I wanted that, except I wanted it for smaller um, usages. So little insect profiles, little um, minnow and bait fish profiles that are going to hold up to a lot of panfish throughout the day or whatever species you're catching. So they've done extremely well across the country. I've, I'm so happy and I'm really excited to kind of keep launching more and just kind of round out this system because that's ultimately what I want to create is a multi-species light line system so people can basically catch fish anywhere they go and um, just really make their life easier. So when you came up with uh, the jig head design for Mule, was this a personal, like something personal that you wanted to do because you couldn't find anything on the market that uh, satisfied your needs or yeah. was it just an idea and you're like, hey, I think I think this is something. I mean, it, it works for bass. Why wouldn't it catch a crappie or a bluegill relative sure. to to its counterpart? Yeah, I mean, it was really, um, like like you said, it was, I was getting into ultralight fishing a good bit and I had a ton of experience with a net rig. And I was starting to realize that there just wasn't a jig head I was happy with on the market for ultralight fishing. And I started thinking, I'm like, why doesn't this exist? Why is there not a jig head out there that's offered in high quality colors that has a good keeper and that has a head design that I like for fishing shallow water? So I decided as someone that's always been somewhat entrepreneurial in spirit, I decided this was a really good opportunity to help anglers catch more fish and selfishly I wanted it for myself. So I started the <laughs> process and I didn't really know what it would turn into and it's been really good and I'm so pleased with how far it's come and certainly feel like I've got plenty of work to do and plenty of things that I can improve on. But all in all, just seeing people catch so many fish across the country on it um, is as much validation as I could have ever asked for. Right. Has it kind of, uh, blown up more than you expected it to after that first sale in November 2019 did you did you ever picture yourself sitting here two 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 year and a half I don't remember what we said X amount years. Of years later, <laughs> yeah looking back on it like wow like uh I I took something and I ran with it and now here I am well, I mean, I still have a full-time job, so it tells you that it's not necessarily paying the bills. Right. <laughs> but I definitely am so proud of how far it's come, and I am definitely in awe at times as to how much it's grown. Um, I do think that it's got potential, and I'm a huge believer in myself, and I'm a believer in this this business. And so I I sit here definitely thankful and a little bit in awe of how far it's come, but I also know 
at two and a half years down the road from today, I know we can, you know, go farther and help even yeah. more anglers. And I think what what's cool is the concept works, the products work, people are enjoying them. Now it's just a matter of continuing to um, kind of educate more people and, you know, get in touch with more people because I think there's a lot of anglers out there that could really benefit from this gear that just don't know it exists. So hopefully um, in time we can continue to educate them and um, get those mule jigs and plastics out there for people to uh, enjoy. Since uh, so, you your YouTube channel two and a half years ago was mainly consistent of bass fishing, right? Yeah, I would say I was really, you know, I was really into bass fishing ever since about high school. So I'm 28 now. I'm actually gonna be 29 in like a month. Um, <laughs> I'm a, I'm getting to be an old man, but I I was really into bass fishing hardcore for like 10 years, and then as I started to you know have less time to fish. I started to experiment a little bit more. And when I was in Arkansas, I had bought a cheap ultralight rod and I started fishing it a lot. And then I realized how much fun it was. And um, as I got into Michigan, I just started using it more and more. And so, yeah, I would say um, once I started launching the baits and everything, obviously, and just launching mule fishing, obviously, I got to the point where I extra fell in love with it because I had a little bit of. Um, extra, you know, extra motivation because of mule. But at the same time, um, I, it's not that I've fallen out of love with bass fishing. It's just that it's just this whole new thing. It's like a, a cherry on top. It's like bass fishing is wonderful. I still love it just as much as I ever did. But now I have this extra love for ultralight fishing and it's just given me such a bigger appreciation of other species. Like bluegill are a species that are wildly abundant, uh, wildly abundant. I can't speak. Um, they're everywhere. I mean, they're just like bass. You can literally catch bluegill in almost all the states. Um, they're in so many different bodies of water. And yet, I would say a lot of people don't really care that much about them. But I think the reason people don't care about them is because they're using too heavy of gear. And so the second I started using ultralight you know, gear, I started saying, holy smokes, like bluegill are actually super fun and not as many people target them. And so I can go out there if I have an hour of fishing and have an absolute blast on the water. But you know, I'm, you know, not catching giant fish, but they're all still putting up a good fight. I don't know. It's just really been something I've, I've really loved over the last couple of years. No, for sure. Um, kind of going back to when you first started documenting, posting on, uh, posting on YouTube, have you, I don't remember, uh, if I had asked this, but like, have you seen growth on your social media as far as expanding the species that you fish for? And have you, I'm, I'm sure, well, I know the answer, but is this connected to you with people that you don't think you would have kind of uh, clicked with if you hadn't gotten into multi, multi-species angling? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it's just like set a total fire to my whole love of fishing. I mean, it has expanded it tenfold. I mean, I've, and it's at the same time, I've met so many more anglers because of it, because people do have interest in things outside of just bass. There's a lot of, what yep. I've realized is there's a lot of people online that are very similar to me that don't have a ton of time to fish. They love bass fishing, but they want to also have the option of catching other species. And when the bass are, you know, in a weird funk, you know, you can bring an ultralight and still have a good time, even when you only have two, three hours to fish. So yeah, I've definitely... I think there's a lot of like-minded anglers out there. Um, people that, you know, work a full-time job and the time they get on the water is super precious. So 
they just want to have a good time out there. And that's kind of who I am. And I think that's who a lot of the people that interact with my content are as well. Um, so yeah. And at the same time, man, I'm, I'm just learning so much about other species, you know, two years ago, three years ago, I feel like I didn't really know anything about trout. Um, and while I certainly don't feel like I'm a trout expert now, I at least have confidence that I can go catch them. Um, so same principle kind of applies to a lot of other species, uh, you know, as well. And that's kind of where my goals are as an angler is I want to continue to become better and better at other species. And I want to continue to tell that story online. So if other people are looking to, you know, learn how to catch bluegill and crappie and all sorts of different species, I mean, that's kind of what my channel is going to be about. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I already said this, but I will, I'll leave a link to Ethan's YouTube channel and for mule fishing, the actual website link in the description. So if you guys are interested in that, you can head over there. Um, so you, you originally grew up in Kansas, right? Yes, sir. And then, uh, so you, you obviously grew up fishing there, which, uh, talking to Trevor a little bit the other day, um, I realized it was a lot more than I pictured it in my mind. Like I said, I pictured it cow, cow pad or a cow cow farm with some with some drainage ponds or irrigation ponds. But uh, has that? Do you think growing up in like the core Midwest kind of formed you into who you are? And do you think that you've grown since moving to uh, to Michigan or to to some other states? Has it has it changed the type of angler you are? Oh yeah. Yeah, hundred hundred times. I mean, I uh, I definitely since moving to Michigan, I've learned a ton about fishing just because the abundance of water, the the species varieties you have available, and just kind of I don't know. I would just say the productivity of the water in general. I mean, I would say as far as productive water goes, Michigan's pretty much second to none. Um, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. These are these are all wonderful places because they've got so much water and so a lot of the water that we have is obviously a little bit more productive as far as how many fish are catching um the other thing is you know generally clear water um lots of vegetation so it really lends itself to having good populations of fish so um michigan's been awesome but yeah growing up in kansas you know trevor and i, I listened to your first episode with trevor he's a friend of mine i actually met him through a lot of the social media stuff originally but um, he grew up in Southeast Kansas, whereas I grew up in Northeast Kansas and Kansas is a lot of the same thing, but there's certainly differences mm -hmm. based on what region you're in. And my area was predominantly reservoirs. And then you had a few, I mean, you obviously had plenty of farm ponds, which is what I kind of got into fishing with originally. Um, but most of the bodies of water were like bigger reservoirs, um, shallow, muddy water, lots of limestone and rock. Um, lots of, you know, timber, uh, you know, dead trees in the water. Um, but not at all the same as Michigan. So yeah. when it came to like bass fishing, I would say the numbers were pretty limited, but you could catch some pretty good ones, but it really, really required grinding it out and, uh, fishing slow in a lot of cases, chasing the wind. Um, it was a different mentality and that shaped who I was as an angler at the time, um, the funny thing is I was always more of a finesse fisherman. I really liked the Ned rig and um, it, I just liked it because I had so much confidence in it. I felt like I caught a lot more fish on it and I didn't necessarily sacrifice a lot of the size. Um, but the the bodies of water in Kansas are so much different than body water bodies of water up here. Um, so I would be really curious to go back to Kansas to see 
like the learnings that I've had up here, I would be so curious to see how they translate back home yeah. in some of the muddier water. Um, I think that I would probably have a lot of fun down there, but at the same time, the abundance of fish is just wildly different. We've, we've talked about it before. Um, as far as lake topography goes, like I remember probably a couple, couple months after you and I had actually met you, you text him and you're like, dude, like the, these lakes in Michigan are just like bowls. Like it just, it starts off shallow and then the middle's like the deepest point. It's so that's gradual, obviously, dude. yeah, it's so yeah. Weird. Is, yeah. Is that how those reservoirs are? Or is there like, is there underwater points? Is there, is there a uh, deeper hole is shallow and like where shallower water would be relative to here? Or is, yeah. it just, is it, was it just completely different than it was at home? You know, the thing is, is like, I'm definitely fishing different water up here. And so I guess kind of take a step back. It's like, like I said, in Kansas, um, reservoirs that are, I don't know, let me look up the, the, the acreage. Um, let me see here. I want to see kind of like the general size. So yeah. like Milford Lake in Kansas was one I grew up with. That's 15,700 um, acres. And then there's Tuttle, which is what I would consider kind of like my home lake. Um, it's near Kansas State University, which is where I went to college. You know, a similar size lake. Um, but I would say, yeah, the, the, the topography is much different because these are man-made reservoirs and they're formed off of a river. And so you've got this river channel that is like obviously going to give you certain structure um, and then you've got lots of points and like I said, rocks. Um, and then there's usually creek arms that feed into that river, you know, that river channel. Um, so you're very much focused on certain creek arms, points, um, you know, the main river channel, humps. And, um, you know, then, you know, obviously I didn't only fish Kansas. I fished Missouri a lot. And that's just another, another deal altogether. Like Table Rock, Beaver, look at a topography, topographical map. Uh, of those two lakes, um, and then compare them to some of these others. They're just so complex. Um, but then you come up to Michigan, and yeah, I'm fishing a lot of smaller inland bodies of water. So Michigan's so cool because you can fish so many different bodies of water, and you can learn a ton. So obviously, you've got the Great Lakes, which I've never even touched, and I don't know when I will, um, but someday I probably will. But then you've got just a ton of smaller inland lakes, like just endless. And because I kayak fish now, that tends to be what I fish. Well, what I've been trying to get used to is the fish on these inland lakes are, yes, they can be very much um, related to structure, but a lot of times it's more of a cover plus structure situation. So because of the abundance of vegetation, which we didn't have much of in Kansas, the yeah. fish set up much different here. They, they basically set up according to how the vegetation lays out in the lake as compared to how the structure lays out in a lake. And so while it's kind of similar, it's taken some getting used to, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you said that the lake you had fished was 17,000 acres? It was something like 15,700 is what I saw. Um, but there's a lot in that kind of like anywhere from 1,000 to like 15,000. Yeah, that's crazy because the lake I fish up at home, my I would consider my home lake, um, I, I thought it was pretty big. Like it's it's not a small lake, but I just googled it, and it's only like uh, it's only twenty one hundred acres, and I thought that was like a really big lake. So, kind of going off that, uh, 
you guys, like you said, you guys don't have as many lakes here, but I think you guys probably have a lot more uh, acreage of water as far as single bodies of water go too. Yeah, it's just different. I mean, if you just look at a, a map on Google and you look at, you know, the Michigan, then you look at Kansas, it's just wildly different. And then, um, you know, I just Googled Table Rock in Missouri, which is one of those lakes that I definitely did some tournaments on and whatnot throughout college. And that one is 43,000 acres. So, I mean, just massive and they're so complex. Um, and those lakes, obviously it's such deep, clear water and they just lay out even, even a lot different than Kansas Lake. So I think the moral of the story kind of to wrap it up is growing up in Kansas, you had to deal with a lot of, you know, crappy fishing, quite honestly. Um, it wasn't that there wasn't a lot of fish there, but it was, there was limited bodies of water. Um, there was muddy water and these fish were definitely pressured hard because there was anglers that wanted to go out there and all do the same thing. They wanted to catch fish, but they only had limited areas to do so. Um, so you really had to learn to grind it out. And so now that I live in Michigan, it's like, man, grinding it out here is like catching a fish every 45 minutes. Grinding it out in Kansas is catching a fish every five hours. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know personally, I, like you said, you could probably go back home and catch some fish, but you're now the second person I've like actually had an in-depth conversation with as far as like actual Midwest fishing goes. And that's definitely sounds like a different breed as far as uh, what to expect. Like you go out, you go out fishing here and you're like, I, I we're, we're probably going to catch them. But uh, that's just the mentality because like you touched on, there's, there's an abundance of fish here and you're always able to trick a few into yeah. biting whether or not they want to. Um, not necessarily yeah. luck into them, but you just figure it out at some point in time. Yeah, I mean, we catch fish in sub 40 degree, some for, sub yeah. 40 degree water here. And I'm not saying you can't do that in Kansas, but I'm saying that you got to have some serious patience to do that in Kansas because it's hard to build up the confidence to know that you're going to get bit when you're getting so much fewer bites. And um, that's where I would say people that come out of Kansas or Nebraska or Illinois, um, Iowa, these places where there's probably fewer bodies of water that get a lot of pressure and maybe can be a lot tougher. These anglers usually will thrive once they hit areas with a greater abundance because they know how to grind it out when they need to. Um, I, I think it's kind of cool though. I mean, I've definitely, it took me a while to figure out how to catch fish up here consistently. I mean, I obviously always have been able to, you know, trick a few bass, but to catch those yeah. bigger ones, it's been a bit of a learning curve. Um, there's still, there's still a lot that I feel like I can learn. That's the beauty of fishing. Yeah. Going back to the big, the big fish statement. Um, I'm not obviously familiar with Kansas like you are is, do you think that that growing season for those fish is year round relative to our five, maybe six months of warmer weather for those fish to gorge themselves and kind of build up nutrients to grow? <clears throat> I think, you know, it's funny. It would be an interesting deal to look at. I think that Michigan and Kansas probably have a somewhat similar big fish potential. Um, Kansas probably has a little higher topside potential um, because of the yeah. warmer weather. Um, and also, there's so many lakes here in Michigan that are so overpopulated with fish yeah. that you actually decrease the size potential, <laughs> unfortunately. Whereas Kansas typically doesn't have that problem, I would say 
the populations are usually not over overpopulated unless you're talking about a farm pond. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kansas definitely has a, a little bit longer growing season, but we get, you know, we get all four seasons and we can get some pretty rough weather in the winter too. Um, those, those fish, you know, they, the thing is that they don't have the same opportunities as fish up here though. I mean, it's shallow, muddy lakes. They can be tough. And, uh, during the middle of winter, those fish probably don't get the same level of nutrition, um, throughout the winter. I mean, you, you look yeah. at bass here and I think they feed more than people realize during the winter. Oh, I mean, for sure. Ice fish for sure. All the time. I bet those bass are gorging themselves a lot of times during the winter here. Um, they just learn to kind of adapt, I think. Um, they may be eating really, really small insects, but it's enough to get by. Um, that being said, I think Kansas, there's a couple like power plant lakes and whatnot. That's where my personal best came from. Um, and I would say those those are the ones that probably have some really big fish potential. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, going off what you said about the fish kind of, in some sense, gorging themselves in the wintertime, if, if anybody's ever seen videos of like a, a fish finder, a camera fish finder down below a tip up or something like those bass don't act like that water is sub 30 degrees and they're sitting under a foot of ice. Like they, they see those minnows and their, their instincts kicked in and they, they're just there to clobber it. They don't, uh, they don't just tap it with their nose and just slowly inhale it no that thing is gone and it's just it's weird because there's a notion like fishing ice out that you have to like you have to jerk a jerk bait and you have to let it sit there for a minute or two at a time and i mean that is true but i think that people kind of underestimate the fish and what what they're capable of after they've been alive for x amount of years i totally agree i mean i think it's kind of you know, yes, most days when you're fishing sub 40 degree um, water, it's pretty dang tough. But I've been surprised, you know, there are days where you catch, you know, catch them pretty good. And yeah, I really think that comes back to the fact that there's an abundance of fish. Um, and these fish get semi acquainted with the weather. And I think that they're just kind of used to it. And, you know, they're going to be opportunistic feeders, regardless of the time of year. Um, so yeah, I, I think Kansas and Michigan are, are very different for that reason, because throughout the year, um, you, you can catch more fish all season long in Michigan. And whereas in Kansas, I think it is for the average angler, extremely difficult between the months of November and like mid-March. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that from everything I've heard in the past week and, uh, kind of kind of wrapping it up a little bit um you you were a very you were a very uh, large advocate for kayak fishing um do you do you think the stigma behind kayak fishing like uh do you think that's going to go away in the next couple of years because the price of a bass boat in my idea is just going to keep rising relative to these kayaks that are going to be available for what like a tenth of tenth of what a bass boat is <laughs> Yeah, I mean, definitely even less less than a tenth, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get a fully rigged, pretty darn good kayak for two thousand dollars. You know, I mean, you can get one for eight hundred bucks, but you know, two thousand yeah. dollars times ten is twenty grand. Where it's like, you know, <laughs> that's gonna buy you like no, a bass boats for eighty grand out there. So yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I don't think that there's. For, first off, I think there's there are certainly people that like look at kayak fishing and they're like, oh, what a joke. I think those are people that 
tend to fish, you know, they, they historically have fished, you know, bigger bass bodies of water. Um, so like, you know, Gunnersville and stuff like that, where it's like, there's a huge advantage to having a boat. Like you're never going to be able to fish the same way on these big bodies of water. Like, like we mentioned table rock as an example, it's like, you're not going to have the same opportunities as an angler in a kayak. I think there's always right. going to be both. Um, I'll be interested to see where, where fishing goes with like motors and whatnot, because I mean, it was recent that Mercury put out an electric motor, you know, teaser and everything. And, you know, a lot of people just laugh at something like that, but if that kind of technology develops and we get more cleaner running bodies of or cleaner running boats that are easier and less maintenance, but they're yep. semi affordable, that'll be interesting. You know, I would love yeah. to own a boat if I did not constantly live in fear of it blowing up. <laughs> so. Yeah. And just, and just kind of touching on, on that, like you, you don't need uh, an F three fifty to pull a double axle, 21 foot nitro. You, or you do, <laughs> you do need, you do need, you don't need an F three fifty to haul a kayak around. Like Ethan, Ethan, what, what is your car considered like a compact SUV or just an SUV? Yeah, I don't know. It's like a, a crossover. It's like a Chevy Ethan, Equinox. It's a soccer <laughs> yeah, motor. Ethan doesn't drive. Ethan doesn't drive a jacked up truck or anything, and he he transport these kayaks by himself. Like he, he throws it up on the roof on the roof racks, and it's just there's uh, I'm trying to think of the word. I can't think of the word, but there's uh, a convenience. And, yes, yes, and that was the word. Yeah, that was the word. Super approachable too. Anyone can kayak fish. It's well, anyone. You know, there's a, a small requirement financially, but I mean, you can technically kayak fish for a few hundred bucks because you can get a cheaper kayak to start and then work your way up. Right. I mean, that's kind of how I've done it. I've over time, I've, you know, I've traded up and traded up and now I'm fortunate to have, you know, the opportunity to have gotten a free couple free kayaks, which is really sick. Um, and I can't be, you know, more thankful for that opportunity, but you know, I think there will always be a, a need for both. And I, I love fishing out of a boat. I love fishing out of a kayak. Um, you know, someday if, if it's if it works out and I have the space for it and the the financial opportunity to do so, I think owning a boat would be cool. But that's not going to happen anytime soon, and I'm totally happy in my kayak. Especially like I mentioned, we've got so many bodies of water that are yeah. that are pretty darn small and very very easy to break down out of a kayak, especially pedal drive. So I'll be doing just fine for the next several years fishing out of a kayak. When when you first started with your kayak, uh, you obviously like you said you didn't have the best the big the biggest and the best but when when you've upgraded has that made it more enjoyable because my problem is i i had a pretty pretty heavy kayak and it was always just a pain because i always had a paddle and stuff so and i i seen the pedal drives and i'm like wow like that would make it so much more desirable to be able yes. to go out and not have to carry around a paddle with me and have it in my lap the whole time yeah i believe and there's a reason that i have two kayaks um so i have a old town discovery solo 119 which is basically a solo canoe um uh -huh. and then i've got an old town sportsman pdl 120 which is you know, the complete opposite it's a pedal drive big beast of a kayak um and there's a reason i have both ends of the spectrum because i believe that stuff in the middle like you mentioned that paddle kayak that's heavy that, yeah. that's not that fun i don't know it's no. not ideal um so I think that 
if you're going to do it, you should either do a lighter weight um, watercraft with paddle to where you can move water pretty quick. You can go over shallow stuff. You can throw it up on your car really quick. It's really a throw and go rig. And that's how I treat my solo canoe. But on the flip side, if you're going to do a big heavy kayak that you want the ability to carry a lot of gear and have numerous rods and reels and have some comfort and stability on the water, I, I would really say that the pedal drive is a total game changer because it allows you to free up your hands and it just makes you, it, it makes it easier to cover water and hold your position. And that is so yeah. crucial when we're talking bass fishing. I mean, you're a big swim bait guy. Like you cannot, you would never have the kind of opportunities throwing that big swim bait when you're constantly battling the wind with a paddle and a big kayak. Uh, so I would definitely say if you got a pedal, I mean, heck dude, come on over. Um, you can try mine out. Yeah. That's, uh, like I said, I think once once uh, a person like myself breaks past that barrier of, uh, quote, the cheap and convenient kayaks that are just uh, paddles, kind of breaks through that barrier and, and experiences, hey, like, for a little bit more, I can have this, and it's my hands are free, I can cast, I can, yep. I can eat my granola bar while I fish, and I can travel That's across important. the lake, I think, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's just more convenient and it kind of opens up, opens up somebody's eyes and realizes there's more to it than just, uh, just what, what's been around for the last 20 years relative to the last, what, five, 10 years. It's, it's changing fast. It's really cool. I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people out there that are like hardcore kayak guys that would, you know, probably talk your ear off on it. And I definitely consider myself a kayak guy, but ultimately at the end of the day, I'm just a fisherman and I will use whatever, whatever, um, you know, resource I have available to go catch fish. I, I like fishing from the bank. I like wading creeks. I like doing it all. The kayak for me serves the purpose because of the area I'm fishing and the, the abundance of small water. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's growing like wildfire and I don't see it ever changing. Um, as far as that goes, it's going to continue to grow, I think, because there's just fishing is growing and people continue to move to the cities and whatnot. And I think that generally speaking, when you're living in large, you know, mid-sized to large cities, there's usually smaller bodies of water available. So, um, and people want to get off the bank too. So I I think that kayak fishing will continue to grow. And I think that's a good thing. Um, You know, it's an, it's an active way of fishing too. And, you know, as anglers, I don't, for whatever reason, we never talk about health. Um, And I'll tell you, kayak fishing is such a great, you know, thing for health. If you want to continue to stay active and give yourself some exercise while also enjoying your passion, that's awesome. I mean, you can pat, go paddle around a windy lake for two hours and try to catch fish and yeah. tell me by the end of that that you're not tired. <laughs> right. But uh, I think I think we kind of reached a good closing point with that last statement that we're all pretty much just fishermen and uh, whatever whatever is available to us is what we take and sometimes it gets taken for granted until that until it gets taken away. But Nonetheless, people are just out there to catch fish, whatever, whatever is the easiest way for them. Yeah, buddy. Well, I tell you what, you should um, get with me this this year as we get into open water, and uh, you can come on over and try out my pedal drive, and I'll go out in the the solo canoe with you, and just go toss a big swim bait around on the the body of water I live next to. I would be very curious if you can catch a few. All right. Yeah, but uh, 
I think that's going to do it for Ethan and I. We uh, This is kind of outside my normal recording time. We recorded this during our lunch breaks, which <laughs> was a lot nicer than trying to trying to do this at night. But uh, I want to give a huge shout out to Ethan for donating his time today to kind of come on and talk and uh, talk about not only uh, his, his ideas between ultralight fishing, but also kind of elaborate on Kansas fishing like Trevor did for us. Um, Ethan, I want to thank you a whole ton. Like I said, I'll leave links to all of Ethan's stuff in the description below. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure that if you guys do, you leave five stars on all the listening platforms you guys are on. And I'll talk to everybody next time.